Hello, everybody. Uh, so I'm... Uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Great, great intro. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Um, while, well, I, while I'm eating wafers, you can do your little intro. Yeah, Evans, my little intro. See how he see how he infantilizes me. This is nonstop, <laughs> folks. Um, full disclosure, guys. So I, your your big your big intro. Yeah, my big adult intro. Um, yeah, your ample traps of. Okay, <laughs> 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 it's gonna be hard. That's part of the problems. You're gonna make me laugh, and it's like, okay, so <laughs> you can probably tell, and there's a good chance that I will sound t- two different ways in this episode to you, listener, because we're gonna record it in two parts. I've got some version the of the the lung rot that's going around. Evan had it. Uh, I had it before well, that. I had COVID. I, ha- yep. I have it now. So, uh... I feel great. Yeah, Evan feels really good. He's eating wafers. <laughs> I can't imagine eating something so small and flaky right now. That would be... You yeah, know, if I fuck your shit up. If I, even, if I even accidentally breathed in while while enjoying a smack roll, I would, <laughs> I would <laughs> indu- <laughs> definitely do myself. I'm jacked up on yeah. cold medicine right now. Um, Hell yeah. That shit makes me feel so weird. Yeah. You ever take you ever take like Dayquil? Yeah, Dayquil. Yeah, yeah. I've taken Dayquil. Yeah. I sure. can't. I can't do Nyquil. Nyquil is like a whole different. Nyquil's demented. Um, Nyquil <laughs> makes me feel like I'm fucking dying. But Dayquil. Well, you're supposed <coughs> to go to sleep after. After. Well, that's it. the problem. I, I I don't. Like I take yeah. Nyquil and then my body like reacts to it and then I end up just having like a panic attack and I can't sleep. And I just feel really? fucking crazy. Fuck. Yeah, I actually sleep fine with Dayquil, so I just take Dayquil. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Nyquil's got night. that uh, doxylamine succinate that's supposed to uh, put you to sleep. <laughs> Helps you suck ducks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yep. <coughs> duck sucker. All right. Um, so, uh, how's how's your week been? Oh uh, well, yeah. No, I've had a, I've actually had a great weekend. Uh, I've basically done uh, un, done nothing but lift weights and play the new Fire Emblem on Switch. So cool. It was pretty sweet. Yep. You're enjoying it. Yeah, it rules. Yeah, yeah. I've played it all weekend. I've never played I mean, a it's Fire been Emblem like, game. You've never? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I haven't played one since like the one that came out for Wii. Uh, what was that? Like Radiant Dawn or something like that. I don't know. But I played the Game Boy Advance ones when I was a. Uh, when I was a little guy, yeah, and uh, and then the GameCube and the Wii one. I haven't played any of the new ones. Like I never had like a 3DS or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't play the other Switch one that came out, but I stole my my roommate's Switch, and I've been playing Engage on it. And it's really good. It's so it's it's what like an RTS. Yeah, it's like a it's basically like a JRPG, but with like a it's all like turn like like turn based like grid strategy like fighting, kind of like Wasteland. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, or except like, except uh, is it more like Final uh, Fantasy Tactics. Never played Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh, okay. Maybe though, because like it's like Wasteland, where it's that like grid turn based fighting, except like there's not really like it's not like an open world thing where you can like, right. walk around and stuff like that. Like you have like chapters that you basically like play match. Uh, like I've seen like a few or... little snippets of it, and it kind of looked like <laughs> don't. Don't take this the wrong way, because I don't mean it in a bad way. But it looked like those, like, um, like anime dating simulator games. Oh, dude, this is so the the this is apparently a thing with these games now. The old ones did not used to be this anime e. Yeah, but like this one is like, yeah, it's like all all the like girls in it 
of these like wicked like little cutesy voices with gigantic knockers. Oh my god! <laughs> and like wicked skimpy outfits, and it's like, all right, this feels kind of gross. Yeah, but <laughs> but it also feels so so good. Yeah, I mean they match my match my uh, my waifu pillows that I have, so you know. Perfect. Yeah, my my ample collection of waifu pillows. Yeah, Evan's waifu pillowcases can stand up on their own. They don't need uh, a pillow that inside. Didn't them. come like that. <laughs> right, but he did, and then that's why. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I might check it out. Honestly, I've been like looking for something yep. kind of JRPG ish to play. I was fucking around yep. with. Um, I I replayed Final Fantasy X recently, and like that game is just mm-hmm. so goddamn delectable. But I've played it so many yep. times, and it's like you know. Uh, um, yep. And I've been I've been messing around with Divinity too because that came out on console, and so like because I couldn't really run it oh, on yeah, my yeah. laptop. So yeah. that's pretty fun. Sorry, but I'm just I'm just switching wafers. So yeah, we got to get a different flavor going. I understand. I yeah, understand. This one's orange. Yeah. Um, um, all right. But, so but yeah, no. Um, this definitely will scratch the JRPG itch for sure. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, no. It's uh like the dialogue's like super cheesy, and uh like kind of annoying. I just skipped through all of that. I just want to fight. So hell yeah, dude. That's kind of like me. Yeah. I just want to fight too. Honestly. Yeah. I just want to fight and fuck. Yeah, dude. And that's, hey, tell you what. Fight fucking shook. <laughs> and enjoy some <laughs> tropical flavored wafers. Um, <laughs> no. no, these are from Brazil. Nice, dude. Brazil nope. rules. No, I'm not quite as good as Portugal, but they're pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird to compare. <laughs> I feel like it's weird to compare. But it's, let's just say that they both are cool. Yeah, the son will never compare to the father, but. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Jesus is pretty great. Yep, Portugal could die, man. I just mean compared to the father, like he's pretty cool. He might, he all, he is. He's both the father and the son. And for a while, that was true of Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should do some some Portuguese and Brazilian history episodes. I'm surprised we no. haven't because we both love that shit. No, we've been getting some Portuguese listeners too. So I know, I know. Um, why don't we, because I'm on a time limit here. So you, as I said, you guys might notice that I sound different in the first half of this episode, the second half of this episode, we're going to record in two parts just so I don't have to do like a full hour, but this also isn't going to be a super long one. Um, so we're going to get through the first chunk now. And then if I, if you notice like a (laughs) marked difference in the sound of my voice, uh, that's why it's studio magic, baby. That's how well, we do things in Hollywood. In Hollywood, exactly. Before this fucking dayquil wears off. All right. <laughs> so, um, speaking of listening, the, uh, the little intro thing, right? We're gonna do the intro music. Yeah, I, you know what? Yes, I guess. <laughs> I guess we should. I guess we should. I was kind of gonna just do like talk about that, but yeah, yeah, we'll do we'll do the intro. Yeah, I'll throw that shit in here. We'll right do now. that right here, right now.
and we're and we're back. So, um, yeah. so yeah. Speaking of listeners that we're getting and episodes that we want to reach out to them, um, you may remember a couple episodes uh, ago when Evan and I were taking inventory of our our year 2022 in podcasting. Uh, we discussed mm-hmm. the various countries and regions where our show gets downloaded uh, the least and the most, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and as is to be expected, we are uh, far and away the most popular in the United States, uh, but then more broadly mm-hmm. sort of in the, the Anglosphere in general, uh, the Anglophone world. Yep. Um, fellow English speakers. Which sort of makes sense. I mean, we do the show in English. Uh and lots of people speak English all it's over. The only so. language you and I speak, fluently, yeah, at least. yeah. We each know. A few. I can swear in Portuguese, but yeah. that doesn't make for good listening. Yeah, and I can, uh, I can order food in Italian, uh, but that's about <laughs> it. That's true. I studied Italian in 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 high school, but all I really remember is, and, nope. and it got me by in Italy. But all I really remember mm. is like how to ask for certain food items and what different fruits are called and stuff. That's all I remember. I know a little Spanish, but yeah, that's true. I mean, no, Spanish no. is important. Everybody knows a little Spanish. Um, mm. I digress. So obviously, as an English language show, we are most popular in English speaking countries. Um, but of the major English-speaking nations, one continues to be the most enigmatic and elusive to us, and that is Australia. Um, I think mm-hmm. we get the least Australian listeners compared to, say, the UK, uh, Ireland, uh, Canada. I think no, Aus- we have way more Aus- Australian listeners than Ireland. Okay, well they're they're beating Ireland, so you guys are next. Way more. We're gonna a- have to do. Fact, uh, until pretty recently, we had more Australian than Canadian. Yeah, but not anymore. Canada's been yeah, Canada's not anymore. Australia's up. number four. Yeah. Okay. Well. So okay. So maybe we'll have to so do an episode on potatoes there, or something. But, <laughs> but uh, my point is, Australia you did is a l- some light lying back there. But what? You did some light lying back there. But well, whatever. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> my point I is, Australia. I wanna. I wanna pander to you. Um, and it's not that we don't have any listeners down under, uh, because we do so and we love them. To a country. And they're super hot and sexy, and they have just the cutest little accents. I think you would agree. Um, oh, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm an open osophile. Really? I love Australia. Oh yeah, the accent's great. The slang is the best in the Anglo world. Yeah, I like, the I like best. how fast and loose you guys are with, uh, with your, with your cussing too. It's, it's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Australia is like on the top top of my list of places I would like to visit. Australia's rules. Not such a big fan of the huntsman spiders. Not yeah. a big fan about that. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, I read a I read a story this back in the day, some forum. Must have been Reddit. Uh, some dude who, uh, who was Australian and he sat on a toilet and a huntsman spider grazed or in some way touched upon his ball sack when he sat on the toilet. And that seems, yeah, like it's, a bad time. If that's even a little bit common, then uh, yeah, if my me. balls are in danger of getting huntsman spidered, hard pass. Yeah, hard and pass. gonna need to. We're gonna need to set some ground. And rules. then of course there's the there the drop bears. Uh, drop bears. It, I forget what it is, but koalas have like is it syphilis? Like a huge amount of koalas <laughs> have some. Yeah, maybe when you're done with them. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Sick. (laughs) Just got fucking smoked on my own show. Yeah, dude. Fucking owned, Oh, man. (laughs) Made me look like such a fucking loser, dude. Yeah, dude. 
but so anyway, we've never really done an episode on Australian history, and uh, I figured as an effort to pander to our Australian listeners and potentially grow our listener base, uh, and also as an, uh, a note of appreciation to those beautiful Aussies that already listen to us, um, I decided to change that, and I decided to do an episode <clears throat> on one of my favorite little bits of uh, kind of Australian weird history today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I've sort of known about peripherally for years. I think I probably first heard about this in college or shortly thereafter. Um, And for a long time, it was something that was sort of an unsolved mystery. Um, But it came back into my scope uh, sometime over the summer, uh, this past summer, when due to like, you know, modern forensics and just people that have been kind of on the case forever, um, it's potentially slash probably solved. Um, And so I think that's kind of cool. And so I wanted to talk about, uh, of course, you may have already guessed it if you're an Aussie. And if you're not, you know, whatever, it's what you're listening to the show for. Uh, the, the famous Summerton Man case, uh, also sometimes known as the Tamam Shud case. Um, no, it's the time that Harvey Keitel died in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he looks like Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, so for the better part of a century, this particular discovery has baffled basically everybody, um, conjuring up visions of political espionage, uh, really dense sort of geopolitical conspiracies, and these ideas have kept imaginations running wild forever. Uh, part of the allure was that it seemed like it, it might never be solved, um, and then in the summer of 2022, uh, there were some major breaks in the case. That will kind of forever change how cases like this, and this case in particular, are discussed. So I want to spend a little time today exploring this case uh, and the grip that it's held on the public imagination, and then kind of shift gears and start talking about the kind of modern developments, uh, the new breaks in the case, and then what they mean for the story as a whole. Plus, this is also going to be an opportunity for me to whip up a soundtrack of some of my favorite Aussie music, which I think will be a treat. Um, We really like putting together our little... (laughs) playlists for you guys also listen to our playlist there is now a playlist a left on red playlist it's called left the lu rippers uh we shared it on twitter and uh we update it now weekly whenever the show comes out and it's got all of the uh the music that we use on the show and if you're just ever interested it's cool to have one thing i really like about australian bands is that they all have super normal names like carnival yeah, that's so great example. And like twelve foot ninja of a band that I actually okay two great examples of bands that like are pretty cool and have stuff that I like, but I have like a really hard time saying I'm a fan of because they're so poorly named. It's, it's <laughs> like it's really tough to say like oh like I love Carnival like that's that's one of the worst band names I've ever heard. You know, and yeah, there are bad like, like there's there tra- with, um... Trapped is a band name. Trapped is a yeah. better band name than Carnival. Carnival's yeah, a great Carnival band. Carnival is down there. Carnival is down there with like chick, chick, chick. You know the one where it's just three exclamation marks. Oh and fuck! I don't even know chick, what chick, that chick. is. That that's a band. Yeah, that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. It's the band that's just three exclamation marks. You're supposed to pronounce it chick, chick, chick. Like, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just terrible. That that I think has got to be maybe ranked the worst band name. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna we're gonna have some Aussie music on this show. Well, it's gonna be all Aussie music, and there's a lot of good stuff. And I've actually pretty much got the playlist already set. I had that set before I even started writing up these notes. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, the band name that's so bad it's almost good, but also Aussie. Of course, King Gizzard. 
Oh, King sure. Wizard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah. Uh, uh, so King Gizzard's not in this one because it's going to be a lot of uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s stuff. But um, yeah. King Gizzard rules. Okay, yeah. See, King Gizzard can get away with a name like that just because, like, you know That's a like great name, matches. though. I, I actually disagree because <laughs> I think King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is a really good name. There's only one band that I think could get away with that name, and that is the band that is named King. Well, that's what I'm like, saying. Like, to like you gotta them. sometimes you gotta earn a name, and like sometimes yeah. it just yeah, doesn't. Earned it. it just doesn't. It just doesn't pay off. Like, okay, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd is a good band name, but like, if you just like named, if there wasn't a band named Pink Floyd, and you just named your yeah. band Pink Floyd today, like bad band name, but until you've earned it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, some band names are great from the start, regardless of whether you've earned it or not. Like Genesis. Genesis is a fucking great band name. I think classic, simple, great, and it was, it was yeah. a great band. I liked Genesis. I like all and, the periods and, of Genesis. And also extra points for naming themselves that in the '60s when there were a lot of bad band names going around. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then they were like the a cool prog rock band, and then they were like the best like '80s trash band, and like, yeah, '80s pop. Yeah, yeah, they, they were so good. Anyway, yeah. anyway, I digress. Uh, no, well, that being I, said, I love I love Genesis. Yeah, Genesis is great. You'll, you'll hear no bad words about them from my mouth. No. So anyway, I digress. Let's let's dive in before I die, and we're gonna start our discussion of the mysterious case of the Summerton Man. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track. Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom As it ships and cracks Where secrets lie in the border fires And the humming wires Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back Across the square, across the bridge Across the mills, past the stacks on a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. So it's 8 a.m. on the morning of December 1st, 1948. 7.05 p.m. On Somerton Park Beach in the Adelaide suburb of Somerton Park. Uh, it is, as a reminder for our listeners in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, summer in Australia at this point. And so some degree of beach activity is to be expected, even on a Wednesday morning. Uh, although I think those lucky bastards, especially in, in um, South Australia, get 
closer to year-round beach weather than, than we do, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But this is especially true in a seaside community like Somerton Park, which it's quiet, it's relatively small, especially in 1948, uh, has a reputation as a nice place to spend an afternoon in the sun and surf. Only this morning is different. There are police on the scene, and the beach is being thoroughly examined, uh, drawing the interest of a few passers-by and slowly becoming the talk of the small suburb. They say a body has been found on the beach. Nobody has any idea who it could be, though the speculation begins immediately. Could it be a drunk who stumbled and fell? Someone who had a sudden heart attack? Was it a murder? Were you going to say something? Is it famous Hollywood actor Harvey Keitel? It, Not right, yet is it, known at that point because it's the fifties. Yeah, and he was probably like like a little guy. Yeah, just a little dude. Uh, it's actually the forties. This is nineteen forty. Oh, the forties. Oh, say my be alive yet? I think he was, was probably born Keitel? in forty eight. My dad was born yeah. in fifty eight. I bet Harvey Keitel is at least ten years older than my dad. My dad was born in fifty five. Oh my God, he's older than I thought. He was born in nineteen thirty nine. Damn. So he was just a little guy. He was a nine year old boy. Yep. When this happened, so it's not Harvey. It's, it's not 80s. Harvey. Um, <clears throat> it's not yeah, Harvey. Yeah, it's probably but, not. But they don't know who Harvey it is. They, they don't. They know who it's not, but they don't know who it is. Uh, Damn, it's I didn't realize not, he was that old. It's what definitely not Harvey Keitel. Um, so the police had been contacted at 6:30 a.m. by one John Lyons, a local jeweler, who had been out for a morning stroll on the beach when he spotted the body of a man apparently of about average height and build, who appeared to be peacefully sleeping, propped up against the seawall. So when Lyons approached this guy, he quickly surmised the man uh, to be dead rather than sleeping, and he ran to phone Mm -hmm. the police. So the guy was a white guy, about 40 years of age. They said he looked like an Englisher. That's how they described him. He had had Anglo-Saxon features. Uh... And the way he was propped with his legs crossed, his eyes were shut. A lot. Aussies have that too, though. I mean, yeah, but uh, obviously there are people from other places in Australia, like, you know, lots of different immigrants in Australia, just like here. Um, so I think they were just saying he looked like he was from that, of that population. Descent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but he, his face looked totally calm. He literally looked like he was he had just dozed off. Um, so it appeared that he had died peacefully in his sleep. But it was odd. He's like on the beach. Mm-hmm. He looked to be approximately 40 years of age. Um, he had short cropped graying hair, a clean shaven face, like freshly shaved. A little shaved. young to die naturally in your sleep like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe less so in the 40s, but still pretty young. Not uh, much less He so. had hazel green eyes, and he was fully dressed in a brown double-breasted suit, complete with shoes, a tie, and even had a woolen pullover to fight the evening chill, right? So mm. didn't look like foul play. Uh, the initial search of his person... And this is pretty interesting. As reported on the front page of the noon edition of the Adelaide News, turned up no identifying documents or anything that might give a single clue as to his identity. Uh, That is not to say that he had nothing at all on his person. A search of his pockets revealed a half a pack of juicy fruit gum, uh, a pack, uh, an army club pack of cigarettes that oddly it contained seven cigarettes of a different brand. It didn't have any army club cigarettes. It had seven Kensitas cigarettes in it, Uh, a partial box of matches, and a small metal comb. Uh, most interestingly, there were two unused transit tickets, one for the rail trip from Adelaide to nearby Henley Beach, and another was a bus ticket out from the city uh, to where he was that also appeared but to have been used. unused. That they couldn't tell as conclusively, but it appeared unused. It wasn't punched or anything. Hmm. Sounds like a spook. Well, right. 
So it was also immediately clear upon initial examination that the body had at no point been submerged in the water or been made, it was wet. It was he wasn't drowned. He wasn't swimming. Didn't wash up on shore. Uh, he was dry, completely dry. No water in, in his lungs. His hair wasn't wet. Whatever. The lack of identification, coupled with the man's clean-cut appearance, left the police with the initial impression that this was was a suicide. Uh, somebody who like got themselves dressed up and went and you know was going to kill themselves. You see that a lot. Chewed some gum, smoked a few cigarettes of a different <laughs> yeah, brand. Yeah, he even he had a cigarette. Had. He had a cigarette uh, unlit, but like just like apparently like he was going to put a cigarette in his mouth, and it just sort of fell to his lapel and was just resting mm-hmm. gently on his on his. Uh, his lapel of his coat. Poison cigarette. Yeah. Hmm. Puts um, it in his mouth, dipped in cyanide or something, dead. <laughs> Case so closed. The police then, they they put out their feelers, and they start <laughs> asking around because they want people to, they want to figure out who this person is, right? So obviously he yep. gets taken in. Um, <clears throat> they uh, note this guy was missing on the in the noon edition of the Adelaide News, uh, the news, uh, which I actually it's pretty cool. They have a lot of that stuff archived. You can look at it. Um, let me see if I can drop this in the yeah. Drop drop me a little click. Drop clip. you a little linky here. A little linky poop. Was chat. Sorry, I'm doing this with a trackpad right now, so it's. See if that opens for you, okay? Let's go. My mouse is ready and willing. <laughs> so, you got it? Yeah, I got So, there's just a little blurb uh, on the front page of the noon edition of the December 1st issue of the news. Um, Dead man found lying on Somerton Beach. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it for you guys. I'm gonna read this little article and I'm gonna read it in a, a, a my shittiest Australian accent. Dead man found lying on Somerton Beach. The fully clothed body of a man was found on the beach at Somerton, opposite the crippled children's home <laughs> at 6:30 a.m. today. Up to noon, police to had no clue to his identity. The body had not been in the water. The man was lying on his back against the seawall. The legs were crossed and death appeared to have occurred while the man was sleeping. A thorough search of his pockets revealed no papers or anything that would give a clue to his name. The man is thought to have been around 40. He was 5 foot 11 inches in height and well built. He was clean shaven with fair hair, fair hair, slightly (laughs) grey over the temples, hazel eyes, and was wearing a grey and brown double-breasted coat, brown trousers, socks and shoes, and a brown knitted woolen pullover, <laughs> white shirt and collar, and red, white, and blue tie. Uh, ooh, red, white, and blue, eh? The discovery ooh. was made. Uh, by our Mr. first clue. The, dis- the discovery was made by Mister John Lyons, jeweller of White Road, Somerton, who called Constable Moss of Brighton and Detective Strangway. And that's it. That's the entire. I article. think the best way to uh, to to reach out to potential Australian listeners is to do their accent. I think they like that. Yeah, they must love it. But well, yeah. really, what I figure honestly is that it'll give them an opportunity to like feel some sort of like national pride. And be like he's not doing it right. Yeah. And also, I didn't do any of the like the viral TikTok like R N R thing. I didn't do what? that. Okay, that's really. 
you're you're you know you're too twitter pilled you, you haven't been up on like the more mainstream meme culture i don't uh, use the children's app you i mean arguable like you definitely use like <laughs> something that's for people of stunted intelligence but it's not because of their age they're just fucking busted i'm just saying tiktok so. i know well, but um, i'm just saying like twitter so, i don't know twitter's for kids too just like a different kind of kid Twitter um, is hysterical. Yeah, man. I, I, I know you I, like this. It. Actually, reminds me of one of one. Uh, there's this guy on Twitter, Nick <coughs> Adams, who's um some sort of like, cons- like he's an author, uh, writes like conservative books, yeah. and uh, he's been quite famous over the last few months. Insanely pro-Trump. Uh, he goes by the Twitter handle Nick Adams, and then in parentheses Alpha Male. Oh, I like. I think I've seen this guy. What a lot of people don't realize until they watch videos of him is that he's Australian. And it's it just makes it the bit so much funnier, but he's been going on uh, like a war against Mars and uh, M and M's, and I just I love like when you open his videos and he's talking about M and M's just with his accent. It's great because he just pronounced it E and M's, yeah, E and M's and Mars. <laughs> Listen here, and, all right. The thing about Mars bars is they're trying yeah. to make all the E and M's gay, and I just they, can't. Yeah, stand they tried for to it. make them woke. I won't yeah. stand for it. <laughs> yeah. You can't make all the M&M's gay. Every man's got to take his M&M's. <laughs> Listen, alright, I understand that the green M&M was quite sexy at one point, and she was a beautiful Sheila, and I would have liked to take her down and maybe have a bit of a barbecue with her, alright? <laughs> take her out for a couple of lagers, and maybe a sausage roll with some tomato sauce. That's what they call ketchup, dude. They call it tomato sauce. That's what a morally thing. bankrupt society. Uh, but you know what they do fucking love in Australia that I can totally get behind is chicken parm. Really? Yeah, chicken parm. Chicken parm. Except there they (laughs) eat it with chips instead of spaghetti, which is fucking psycho. I mean, like, it's fine. Like fries? French fries. Yeah, I mean, a French fries and chicken parm sounds perfectly serviceable, but a nice plate of spaghetti for me, you know what I mean? So, wait, wait, wait. So, they take fried chicken. Yeah, and serve it with French fries. And French fries? They don't put it on the French fries like we would with the spaghetti. The French fries oh, are okay. on the side. Oh, okay. I thought I thought this was all. And like, together. it's not like I wouldn't dip a French fry in a little marinara. You know what I mean? That sounds marinara. pretty. A little marinara. Fry sounds fucking nice. <clears throat> sounds fucking nice, bro. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's not the worst I know, idea. I, would, I mean, I would try it, but the, I wouldn't prefer it. Like, yeah, that. spaghetti, dude. It's spaghetti with a little parmesan. Oh, I like rigatoni. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I just mean pasta. Yeah. I, I I like a little pasta with my chicken parm. Without you near me, I've got no place to go. 
Yeah, part two, uh, which I guess we may as well address because I feel like it's going to take me a second to get back into the swing of things. So yeah. I mentioned at the start of the episode that we were recording this in two parts. If I sound different, better, hopefully, maybe worse. You do sound uh, better from what good. I remember. Good. I've still got a bit. You were hoarse two yeah. days ago. Yeah, I was hacking up a lung. Um, so we recorded the first, I think it'll end up being closer to like a third of, of things. Um, so we'll trim it down and whatever. But if you notice a difference and this feels abrupt, here we are, and we're going to yes. jump back in in medias race. Yeah. Uh, I did right just now. have some nice uh, breakfast for dinner, so good. I'm good to go. Cool. How'd you do your eggs? Oh, scrambled. I scrambled them with water. I add some water to it. Interesting. And then scrambled with that. I think Gordon Ramsay does that. I've seen uh, uh, I've seen people talk about it online. It gets super fluffy. Interesting. It's delicious. Best. Yeah, I, I will never go back to, like, milk or anything. Yeah. I never add anything to my scrambled eggs. I just – what I learned from Marco Pierre White – is oh. to just cook them real slow. Oh. You cook them real slow, and they just end up creamy and delightful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we don't need any more of this shit, because we got a lot to cover, and we have enough of this. Yeah, space. actually, really not that much to cover. You know, we got, like, what, eight pages? I Usually, mean, you're at, like, 20, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is 17. We've done four, and like I was just telling Evan, some of it's... Oh, you have... Oh, I thought what you said before is that there's, like, 12 total. No, 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 like did. 12 more. Okay. Well, it's it'll it's like 12 total because there's – you'll see. Okay, I, yeah. I just copied and pasted some shit in here. So, okay. yeah, but we, we've we got some stuff to cover. So, okay. um, yeah, let's dive back into Somerton Man. Woo! Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so, so right away the police put out uh, a bulletin. Um, they're asking for potential witnesses to come forward with any information that they may have about this mysterious man that they've found on the beach. Uh, two separate couples came forward claiming to have seen the man uh, or someone kind of matching his description on the same stretch of beach the evening before. Both couples assumed that the man was a drunk, despite his smartly dressed appearance, with the first couple stating that they'd seen him reach out his arm and then sort of let it drop limply to his side uh, as they were walking by at around 7 p.m. And the second couple claimed that he had not moved at all when they had seen him sometime between 7.30 and 8 p.m. of that same night. 
Those people didn't think that he was trying to wave them down? No. I mean, I think it was probably a pretty common thing. First of all, it's 1940, well, it's about to be 1949. It's 1948 at this point. So, like, I think people are a little laxer with shit like this, you know? Like, I feel like this would set off more alarm bells for, for me. Um, but I feel like back then people had much more of, like, a nothing weird's happening here. Like, he's probably just a fellow who's had too many pints of lager. And, like, we should leave him alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> um so I don't know, but yeah, it is a little, it is a little fishy. Uh, yeah, no, I, w- but- I would have been like, maybe this lad is trying to flag me down and need some help if he's yeah. limply raising his arm as I walk by, and then it drops to his side like a sack of uh, sack of potatoes. Yeah, no one did. Uh, a, a third witness stated, like, in yeah. fact, that they <laughs> that they had <laughs> Good night, seen <laughs> they stated that they'd seen uh, another man. Um, standing atop the seawall sort of gazing down the stairs at the motionless figure of the guy slumped against the base of the seawall uh as she was walking by and that that guy was just like looking at him and just did not this fella has had too much to drink yeah oh this <laughs> everybody's just gawking at the drunk dude this mischievous little scamp yeah um so all of the people agreed that the man was in something like his final resting position at the time that they'd seen him and aside from the raised arm uh, nobody claimed to see any motion or response from the guy. Meanwhile, uh, the local coroner had begun his examination, uh, finding the man to be in good physical shape, broadly built, uh, and with a few defining features. Um, first, he had no hat or wallet. Uh, the no hat thing was just weird because it was 1948 and men would have had a hat. Um, no wallet's especially weird because he's got no money and no identification. Um, also, all of the labels had been removed from every article of clothing that he was wearing. So, th- you know what this makes uh, makes reminds me of, and I guess uh, some spoilers here in case you know you haven't seen this movie that came out uh, 15 years ago. But it's like Burn After Reading uh, when um, I haven't seen that movie probably in 15 years. So yeah, when uh, so you know Brad Pitt he plays a moron <laughs> at a gym. And they're trying to, like, get dirt on a guy who used to work for the CIA. And Francis McDormand's character tells him to remove all of the uh, the tags from his suit mm-hmm. so that he doesn't have identification in case he gets caught. And he has, like, nothing in his wallet, like, basically at all, no identification. And he's hiding in the closet when, like, George Clooney, who's banging the CIA analyst's wife, gets there to, like, take a shower. And he finds uh, uh, Brad Pitt in the closet, shoots him in the face kills him and he goes jesus christ i killed a spook <laughs> that's what this is reminding me of the right. he's got the tags ripped out of his clothing he's got nothing in his wallet well yeah um so maybe he's just a dumb gym employee uh who uh you know got killed on the beach because somebody thought he was a spook could be no it could be a could burn be. after reading scenario it could be uh the clothing in the uh coroner's inquest is also they do find that it's it's likely of U.S. origin, um, specifically based on the type of cotton fiber that's used in some of the items, which that's going to continue to be kind of a red herring that baffles people. Like, was this guy from the U.S.? Why is he wearing all clothes from the U.S.? Who is he? I don't know. Um, he had strong calves and weird wedge-shaped feet, like someone who would have done ballet or worn sharp-toed boots regularly, and his hands showed very little callousing, suggesting that he would have done some sort of a sissy job like podcasting, uh, because people who do podcasts probably have very soft hands. His dental records also did not match any on file. But again, I mean, a lot of this, it's like, it's 1948, so like, you know, it, it, how good were the dental records? It's, 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 it's a lot to 
Um, I mean, toothbrushes haven't even been a thing for like 20 years at this point. Right. (laughs) It's a lot to presuppose, but whatever. Uh, He had no external wound or injury, uh, though he did show some internal oddities. His heart appeared completely normal. Uh, no sign of like a heart attack or anything not like that. Not the size of a chestnut in black. Yeah. <laughs> yep, not a drop of blood in his body. Um, however, his entire windpipe appeared to be deeply congested and showed minor signs of ulceration. Uh, there was blood and hemorrhaging in his stomach and also blood, uh, a lot of blood cells in his liver. And his spleen was swollen to roughly three times its normal size. His final meal, apparently, was a simple pasty, which is like a little meat pie. Uh, interestingly, the coroner placed his time of death between 1 and 2 a.m. on the morning of the 1st, so several hours after the witnesses who had seen his motionless body slumped by the seawall the previous night. Bear in mind, they had seen him between 7 and 8 p.m. on the night of the 30th. So, so pretty he good was chance motionless. he was trying to flag people down. Potentially. Um, but he was also motionless, uh, and appeared completely unconscious. Um, so Could probably still alive, coma. but but comatose or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the cause of death is totally inconclusive, though three separate medical witnesses all testify that it it just really did not appear to have been anything natural. Um, something was something was definitely up. Yep. Poison was suspected, though there were no obvious uh, there was no obvious evidence as to how, where, or when that poison had been administered, so it could not be conclusively stated as the cause of death. Maybe the little meat pie. Could have been, uh, but the meat pie did not appear to be contaminated. Mm. Uh, the coroner himself suspected some sort of a barbiturate. 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 The police received no further information regarding the identity of the Somerton man, uh, as he was beginning to be known. And so 10 days after his discovery, he was embalmed to allow for the investigation to continue. The first time something of this nature had had to be done in the area that police could recall. Uh, the new year came and went, and the case was beginning to languish when a new discovery was made that thrust it immediately back into the spotlight. Uh, so I'm going to read again from a different newspaper here. Uh, this is the front page of the January 15th, 1949 issue of the Adelaide Advertiser. The headline reads, Somerton Mystery Clue. Nice, bring the back. The back, yeah. the back. Yeah, the like, a suitcase which police believe might have belonged <laughs> to the man who was found dead on the beach at Somerton on December first was recovered from the cloakroom of the Adelaide railway station yesterday. The case rem- <laughs> the case contained a number of articles, including a pair of light brown trousers, in <laughs> in the cuffs of which was some sand. Two dry cleaning marks were also found inside the trousers. Detective Sergeant R.L. Lean, with these marks as a clue, will try to trace the owner of the trousers. I'm not going to lie. I uh, I retained absolutely zero of that because I was just focused on the accent. That's okay. Well, luckily, when people are listening <laughs> uh, luckily to podcasts, I can read they, it. Can, they can just yeah. rewind. Oh. Um, the brand label had been removed from the suitcase, which... Uh, had been checked into the rail station cloakroom on November 30th sometime during the day. Remember, this was the same day that Somerton Man found his way to the beach and met his demise. And then more details. So wait, so this was found like two months later? Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, so he was found December 1st. This is January 15th. Oh yeah, so so he had... I'm kind of like remembering this too. So he had those like unused uh, travel tickets for a train. Yeah. Yeah, and then this was found uh, checked in to uh, the rail station cloakroom. Yes, 
So in Adelaide. Like, so he's in out Adelaide. in the suburbs now. This is back in the city of Adelaide. And the and the tickets were unused. Uh yeah, so the train ticket was definitely unused. So the for bus some reason, ticket, this was the bus ticket, the bus ticket may have been used. The bus okay. ticket was unclear. So he checked us into the train station in Adelaide. Did yeah. not take the train from Adelaide. Ends up in Somerton anyway. Yeah. yeah. May have taken the bus. It's may possible that he may, may have, taken have taken the bus. The bus. Yeah, the bus Somehow ticket was unclear. Somehow he makes his way there, but it's not on the train. Uh, yeah, he was not. He did not take the train. Um, and the ticket was for like a 10.30 a.m. Uh, train out of Adelaide. Um, which Was he, it to Somerton? No, it was to another beach. Huh. So and it he sounds was like not, maybe he was waylaid while at the station getting ready to go there. Yeah, you know? which but then it would have been weird that he hopped on maybe on a bus and found his way up to Somerton, and or maybe maybe he was killed, and somebody planted the used bus ticket but took him there somewhere else, somewhere maybe. else. Yeah, you know? possibly. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it could it literally could be anything. That's yeah. the crazy thing about this. There's there's so much room for, and that's why people love this story because there's so yeah. much like, what the fuck. Like how this how this who is this fucking guy? How would he get here? Yeah, yeah. If he's you know if he's some kind of spook, you know they're trying to trying to hide their tracks, but they didn't realize that he had like checked in his bag in Adelaide or something like that. You know what I mean? But he was like assassinated. Right. Mystery solved. Um. So they they then would release more information <laughs> on <laughs> the contents of the case. Um. So this is from the January eighteenth issue of that same okay. paper. And keep in mind, this is all front page news. People are going bonkers over this shit. Yeah, yeah, 1949, this is the craziest story in Australia. Yeah. Definite clue in Somerton mystery. Detectives obtained their first real clue in the Somerton body mystery yesterday when they examined clothing found in a suitcase recovered from the cloakroom of the Adelaide Railway Station. Detective Sergeant R.L. Lean, who, with Detective L. Brown and plainclothes constable D. Bartlett, is engaged on the case, said yesterday that he was satisfied beyond doubt that the clothing in the suitcase belonged to the man found dead at Somerton on December 1st. He had concluded this after closely examining a card of brown cotton found in the suitcase. Of an unusual type, it was identical with the cotton used to repair the lining of a pocket in the dead man's trousers and to sew buttons on a pair of trousers found in the suitcase. A puzzling feature about the clothing in the suitcase was that with the exception of the names T. Keen and Keen without the E on a singlet, all name tabs have been removed from the garments. Lamp test. Mutilated name tabs on other pieces of clothing in the suitcase were placed under an infrared ray lamp yesterday in an unsuccessful effort to read them. Police believe that whoever removed the name tabs from the clothing either overlooked the names on the two pieces of clothing or purposely left them on, knowing that the dead man's name was not Keen or Keen without the E. Another piece of evidence connecting the suitcase with the dead man was the discovery in the case of a small brown button identical with buttons on the dead man's trousers. Articles found in the suitcase were a red checkered dressing gown, pair of red slippers, pajamas, shaving gear, an electrician's screwdriver, a stenciling brush, and a table knife which had been cut down into a short and sharp instrument. Two tickets. The only articles found on the dead man were a punched single train ticket to Henley, which had not been used, and a bus ticket to Somerton. The train ticket had been issued between 6am and noon on November 30th, and the bus ticket for a bus leaving Adelaide at about 11.15am the same day. 
Because he has not yet been identified, police believe that the dead man probably arrived in Adelaide only on the morning of November 30th, and after shaving at the railway station, remember he was clean-shaven when found, deposited his luggage in the cloakroom. He is then thought to have bought a ticket to travel to Henley, missed his train, and then walked across to the bus terminus opposite the station and caught a bus to Somerton. Although a post-mortem was held, police state that it did not reveal the cause of death, and this is providing them with a second difficult aspect of the case. Already, nearly 40 persons have viewed the body, which has been embalmed for your blue- viewing pleasure at the city morgue. That's Yeah, I, I didn't add that. That's, that's <laughs> what it says in the fucking newspaper. Embalmed for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> I maybe, that may be uh, a, uh, a little... Uh, I may have taken some license with that part. Oh, did you did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> sneakily add it while you were way up. At I was the like, top. how did I not notice that? Whatever, it's Australia. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, no, the uh, embalm for your viewing pleasure was uh, that was me. Got it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yes. So, according to the available forensics of the day, this case seems to be a definite match for the body found on the beach, and the plot is now just thickening. Uh, no T. Keen was reported missing in any English-speaking country that the police had contact with. And so it was assumed this was sort of a red herring. Um, like they said in the article, like, those are the only names left in the clothing. And so it was thought that the, the reason those were the only names left is that those the, the, per, the killer or the person who was dead knew that that person could not be connected with the body. And so, like, why remove them? They were unable to find a match for the dry cleaning tickets that he had okay, on uh, can, can I make, like, a brief aside real quick? So the two different spellings of Keen, too, like that, mm-hmm. that also, like, a lot reminds me of, like, Lee Harvey Oswald, who would, like, slightly change the spelling of his name while, like, doing stuff. Like, sometimes he would call himself uh, Leon Oswald. Mm-hmm. Just, like, slight changes like that. It's uh, reminding me of that. You see that sometimes with, like, other spooks, too, where they have these, like, aliases. And it's, yeah. like, the same name, just with slight changes in spelling or pronunciation. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, things are definitely, like, more lax. I mean, this is a little recent for something like that. But, like, if you go back 100 years uh, or 120 years, people were, like, way more lax with how they spelled their names on, like, government mm-hmm. documents you know, in different years and stuff. I know even, like, you know, talking to my grandfather who was really into, like, family tree shit for a while. Yeah. It was tough because you would find people that we were ostensibly related to who spelled our last name multiple different ways, you know, over the course of their lives. And that's, you know, not that long ago. That's, you know, turn of the 20th century. So um, maybe it wasn't that weird. But, again, like, you don't see that as much when you're entering into the 40s. Maybe it was more of a thing in Australia, but... Um, yeah, odd to see different spellings of of the name like that for sure. Yeah, generally my father's last name. There's really kind of only one way to spell that, so that's basically always spelled the same. But for my mother's last name, which is like from a like a, a like a town in Spain, uh, you, like you'll see like even going back like slightly different variations. Sometimes you see the day in front of it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you don't, and then um, obviously like sometimes you know some of the letters are switched a little bit, like a Z to an S or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it, it's so it's not like unheard of, but it is a little weird. It's definitely of yeah. note. Um, so, like I said, Your they excuse. couldn't they couldn't find any connection to the dry cleaning tickets, uh, and they also weren't able to trace the rail tickets any further. I mean, this was not you know nowadays. Like, if somebody bought it with a credit card, it's like okay, you've got this whole paper trail. But like, no, it just sort of ends with that. They know when he bought it, where he was supposed to go, and that's kind of it. 
Uh, the coroner's inquest. Uh, there was now a coroner's inquest that was brought about in June of 1949, uh, which found a few new interesting tidbits. For one, uh, the guy's shoes and, in fact, his clothing in general were like remarkably clean for somebody who had apparently been wandering around aimlessly and missing their trains and then like dying on the beach. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Stuff all looked in really good shape. It's not like he was like some vagabond who was all dirty and scruffy. He was like really well-dressed and his shoes were kind of spotless and had just been polished and all very odd. Uh, During the inquest, a professor of pharmacology from the University of Adelaide testified that a certain category of drugs called glycosides, or at the time sometimes glucosides, used in cardiology could account for the death. These drugs, uh, which at the time were not publicly revealed but we now know uh, were um, digoxin, an early medication used for treatment of various cardiac conditions, mostly pretty benign stuff like heart murmurs, I think, and uabain. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, O-U-A-B-A-I-N, which was a toxin that has been used for centuries as a dart poison in Eastern Africa. Um, These could have conceivably caused the oddly prolonged death of the man. Remember, he was last seen moving at 7 p.m. on November 30th and then apparently died at 2 a.m. on December 1st. And also, the total lack of external or obvious trauma, i.e. thrashing around, vomiting, um, any of the usual signs of somebody being poisoned that you might expect, like some sort of trauma response. Falling at the neck or something. Nothing. Yeah, he had none of that. He just looked like he'd fallen asleep and just passed away. And the only real evidence of anything wrong was, like I said... His fucked up organs. The mucus buildup, his swollen spleen, the blood, the hemorrhaging, things like that. Yeah. Um, so in the end, the coroner who was leading the inquest, a guy named Thomas Cleland, or Cleland, uh, I, I want to say Cleland, Thomas Cleland, Cleland. Uh, concluded Cleland. that while he was confident in his own opinion, stating that the cause of death had likely been poisoning by, he said a glucoside, we would call it a glycoside, I don't really, I'm not big on that shit, I don't know if there's still a difference or what, but I've seen it spelled both ways. Uh, the evidence was not sufficient to show whether this had been administered by the deceased himself or by someone else. Uh, and really to even definitively state whether it was the cause of death at all. And so officially, even though he feels confident that glycoside poisoning is the cause of death, uh, they cannot state that. It has to remain unknown. Yeah, glucoside <coughs> and glycoside are probably the exact same thing. A lot of times with chemicals like that, you can say things totally differently or similarly, yeah. but differently. You know, I mean, like acetonitrile <laughs> sort of is also methyl cyanide. No, uh, dichloromethane is also methylene chloride. It's just... Oh, it's really it's the it's really wild up to west the user. Yeah. What's that? It's it's the wild west out there. Yeah, yeah. It's up to it's up to the user how you mm-hmm. exactly want to say it.
So moving on, the the last bit of evidence found is maybe the most enigmatic and has sort of come to be like the the little mascot or the hallmark of this case. Um, concurrent to the inquest uh, that we were just talking about, uh, they're just you know going over the body again, and a small piece of rolled up paper was found sewed into a little secret pocket inside one of the man's trouser pockets. And so this next bit is about that, and this is from the front page of the June 9th, 1949 issue of the Adelaide Advertiser. Cryptic note on body. <laughs> the translation by public library officials yesterday of a cryptic note discovered in the clothing of the unidentified man found dead at Summerton on December 1st has caused detectives to intensify their inquiries in an effort to solve what is considered the strangest case of its time in the history of the South Australia Police Force. The note, which was printed on a scrap of paper, read, Tamam Should. The words Tamam Should are to be found at the end of the last verse of the English translation of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Tamam Should is believed to be a contraction of the Tamain Shudan, which according to Wollaston's English to Persian dictionary means to end or to finish. Detectives believe that the dead man cut out the words of the book in an effort to trace... <laughs> Detectives believe that the dead man cut the words out of a book. In an effort to trace the book, photographs of the scrap of paper will be sent to interstate police. Sounds like something from Dune. I know, Tamam dude. Shud. It really does. <laughs> yeah, Shai Hulud. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, great band, too, and they're actually going on tour. They're touring with somebody random. They're going on tour with... Uh... Oh, dude, they're going on tour with God Forbid. Do you remember that like old metalcore yeah. band that like yeah. just got back together? Um, they had a few cool songs, whatever. It wasn't really ever my thing, but uh, Shai Hulud is like, opening for them, which is huh. rad. I've always wanted to see that band. Anyway. Um, uh, speaking of shows, um, uh, my buddy from work just told me that uh, Obituary is going on tour with uh, Blood Incantation as an opener. Oh, that sounds pretty awesome. There's so yeah. many good shows coming up. Yeah, seriously. This past <laughs> year was good, and I feel like this next year is going to be good. We should just like go yeah. as many. Gojira and Mastodon uh, in August. Yeah. Ago. I've I seen both of those bands multiple times, but I feel like yeah. it's been a while, and I, I, I would be down. I mean, that yeah. sounds... Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to go to that one. Uh, I also bought the Elder tickets at Alchemy. Oh, you bought those That's already? That's in April. I bought two, so... Do you have me, somebody lined up for number What's two that? Do you have somebody lined up for number two already? Yeah, my roommate, so oh, okay, you should perfect. buy one. Yeah, because I was, was going to say I can't commit to that, but like I could theoretically maybe, so... We'll, yeah, we'll, you should buy it as quickly as possible because Alchemy's small and that'll definitely sell out. Fast. Yeah. Of all the shows we've talked about, that's the only one that I'm like sort of unsure about just because of timing and things, but yeah. um, I will... I think it's on a Thursday. Oh, if it's on a Thursday... Uh, yeah, if it's on a Thursday, I'll just buy one when we get off... The all right, yeah. I'll like I'll look anything on a Thursday. I mean, that's my day yeah. off, listeners. If you're ever trying to stalk and kill me, um, yeah, anything on a Thursday, I'll just fucking do. Yeah, I, I'm I almost positive if it's on a Thursday. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's a that's that's decided. Um, so, <clears throat> so Omar Khayyam, or Khayyam probably, was a Seljuk Persian poet of the 11th and 12th centuries, uh, who was famed as one of the best Muslim poets of his day. The clipping, he was sort of a polymath. He did all sorts of things. He was like a mathematician and a philosopher. Great name, too. Yeah, oh, great name. Omar Khayyam. Yeah. Um, so this is obviously modern-day Iran. Um, the clipping found on the dead man was believed to have been from an English translation of a book of poetry attributed to Omar Khayyam by the English poet Edward Fitzgerald, which was published in 1859. That's the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. So the, po- the cops put their feelers out to find the specific copy of the Rubaiyat that the passage had been torn from, and eventually a man came forward saying that he had found the book 
and examination under a microscope confirmed that it was likely, in fact, the same copy. Now, there has been some confusion over the ensuing years about the circumstances surrounding the whens and the wheres of the discovery of this book, which leave things a little murky. Uh, But the general consensus is that this book was likely picked up by this person who is anonymous. Um, The police obviously didn't find them to be a suspect and so didn't release their name. That was sort of a common thing with this case. The lead detectives would use aliases to describe sources and stuff. And um, so there's a lot of sort of missing links. Also, like in the ensuing years, a lot of witness statements have been lost. A lot of uh, the primary source material is gone. So it's all just Mm -hmm. like referential. It's a lot like studying ancient Rome where you have like referential text to like ancient Greek stuff that no longer exists. It's sort of like that. Like there's just been so much lost that – you know, we're all kind of filling in the blanks with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the the general consensus, there were some uh, news reports that I read from the time that linked the uh, book to having been found as much as like two weeks before the body, which drove people kind of nuts at the time because they're like, well, that would have meant that he had been in the area before because yeah. he had just, you know, supposedly taken the bus out there that day. Um, and... Also, I meant, I want to kind of circle back and clarify. So at the start of our narrative, when I describe the two tickets as unused, it's because when they found the body, they couldn't verify that the bus ticket had been used. By the time I read to you that newspaper reporting, they realized that he had taken the bus. So okay. he didn't take the train. It's By this point in the narrative, it's established or at least... Pretty confirmed that he didn't Pretty take confirmed the train. that he took the bus, yes. right? So... I never really explicitly said that. So like 90% confused, sure, sure on both of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Didn't take the train, probably took the bus. When they found the body, they couldn't tell if the bus ticket was used or not. There was no like obvious mark on it that had been clipped yeah. or whatever, um, which there's a million reasons for that. It could have just been neglected or whatever. But at this point, they've now traced. He, he's taken the bus to Somerton. Okay. Sorry for that little aside. I just thought that might oh, be fine. useful. Yep. Um. <clears throat> But now the general consensus is that the that the book was probably picked up on the beach by somebody or nearby by somebody around the time that the body was found, and there was no real reason to suspect it had any connection. It was just a, a book of poetry. Yeah. Um, found and tossed it before he way before he died or something like that. Right, and then sort of tucked it into this little hidden pocket that was inside yeah. one of his pockets. Um, and so the person who had it had no real reason to suspect it was anything important until yeah. the cops said, we're looking for this copy of this book. And this guy's like, oh, shit, I, I found, I found a copy beach. of that book, like, right there mm-hmm. after it happened. Um, and so this book adds the last little, like, weird pieces of the puzzle that we are looking for here. So on the reverse of the last page, so the last page where the word tamam should is removed, and it sort of means the end, right? I think it was literally just the, the end of the, the book of poetry. Um, the final page on the back of that is blank, and they found indentations pushed into that back page as if somebody had laid a piece of paper over it and written on top of it. And it looked like it was some sort of code. So you guys can look this up if you look up uh, Tamam Shud code. Um, it'll come right up. You can see pictures of it. Yeah. Um, I actually have a picture of it that I can drop in the text for you, the chat. Um so Evan can see the Raglababd. <laughs> so they've they've, they've transposed they've filled the in the blanks b- here, but <laughs> <laughs> it, at first they thought that this was some sort of foreign language, some weird Cthulhu shit. Um, but basically, it's 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 five five lines of text um, in big block English letters. 
uh, W-R-G-O-A-B-A-B-D, and then the line M-L-I-A-O-I crossed out, <laughs> and then the line W-T-B-I-M-P-A-N-E-T-P, and then a little asterisk that's also been crossed out, then M-L-I-A-B-O-A-I-A-Q-C, and then I-T-T-M-T-S-A-M-S-T-G-A-B. Lines two and four are very similar. Yeah. At least they start it, yeah. They do. Um, and also, there's a lot of confusion over whether that first letter is, if you look at it, it could be an M or a W, but there's they, they assume it's probably a W. Yeah. It's closer to a W than an M, that's for sure. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, so subsequent attempts to decipher this as a potential code have all kind of proved unsatisfactory. Um, there were thoughts about what it could be. Like I said, some people thought maybe it was some sort of ancient language. I mean, it's found in this book of old Persian poetry. Uh, but pretty quickly, people are realizing that this is some sort of a cipher. Um, and to this day, the, the, the true meaning of it remains a mystery, and they actually are, are now saying they'll likely never figure it out. It's, it's not any code that mathematicians or code experts have been able to decipher. Um, and so the thought is that it's probably not a code. It's probably a shorthand Um and that it's just a simple, like, it's the first letters of a string of words um, put down to remember something by the person who wrote it. Um, but even modern attempts to put that into, like, computer programs that might figure that out, it hasn't come up. So it's probably not going to. Um, yeah. And so we'll probably never really know what this means. It's kind of a, a red herring. Uh, but then also, this is another fun bit, and this is a little more interesting. Um, there was a telephone number written in the back of the book. And so they called this telephone number and found out that it belonged to a nurse named Jessica Thompson who lived right down the fucking road from where the guy's body was found in the little yep. neighborhood of Glen Elg um, on Mosley Street, literally like 1,300 feet from where Summerton Man was found. Uh, and upon being interviewed, Miss Thompson was not very helpful. Um, she claimed no knowledge of the man or why he would show up with her phone number uh, in the middle of her suburb in the middle of the night and then wind up dead down the road from her house. Um, little sus. She did, however, state that at one point in late 1948, uh, a strange man that she had never met had appeared at her home while she was away and had apparently been asking her neighbors about her whereabouts before disappearing. Right? And so she doesn't see any connection there, apparently, but this didn't yeah. happen. Now, Miss Thompson passed in 2007, or Mrs. Thompson. She was married to a guy named Prosper Thompson, which feels very like New Prosper. England Puritan yeah. uh, witch trial y, but whatever. Um, but she had multiple surviving children, um, one of whom was a daughter, and they believed that she knew who this man was. Um, the prevailing thought among her surviving relatives and among the police was that she definitely knew more than she was letting on. And realistically, she probably did. Yeah, I would say pretty good chance. Very odd that her phone number would be in the back of a random book. And there's more connections here. So yeah. she did claim that she had at one point owned a copy of the Rubaiyat uh, while serving as a nurse in a Sydney war hospital. And had given oh, it to the a, war, you say, huh? Yes, during the war, like with <laughs> the Nazis and shit. Uh, hmm. <laughs> who loved their weird esoteric stuff. Um, and then she had given it to a man named Alf Boxall, with whom she sort of probably had a fling, um, and corresponded during the war. And then after the war, 
they ended up breaking their correspondence, apparently. She claimed that he reached out in, like, 1945, and she responded and said, I can't keep talking to you. I'm married now. They would go on to figure out. Now, this is in 1951, I believe, she's being interviewed. She Uh hadn't actually been married until 1950, like the previous year. So when she said that she said that to this guy, she wasn't actually married to Prosper Thompson. as well. She's sounding very spooky, and she will sound more <laughs> spooky to you. Um, so they initially, they're like, okay, this Alf Boxall, and they were like, where is this guy? And she's like, I have no idea. I haven't talked to him since 1945. So they're like, well, that's got to be him. They're like, is this him? And she's like, I, I, it doesn't look like him. I can't tell. They yeah. showed her the – they had made a plaster cast of the guy's head and then embalmed yeah. him. So, so they showed him the plaster cast, and she looked at that, and she was like, I I don't know, man. I, I couldn't tell you. This yeah. – could be him but i don't think so so they're like okay it's got to be alf boxall that would make sense he had a copy of the book he was probably a jilted lover so they go looking for him and the thing about alf boxall is he's fucking alive it's 1940 (laughs) they find him and he's he's in sydney he's alive and well and he's still in possession of his fully intact copy of the rubaiyat they ask what? him, like, do you remember the getting this book fuck. from this chick? And he's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's right here. Yeah, and he fucking talk. has it. And he hands it to her, and or hands it to the, the police. And, uh, yeah, it still has Tom Lumshud in the back and everything. So yeah. it's it's not the same copy. I mean, it could be that they all had a copy. Who knows? Who knows? But, uh, yeah, so it's I'm not off box this, this book had something to do with the cipher. Potentially. But that's the thing. They've Ugh. Obviously, they've combed through that, and there's yeah. nothing that they can find in the book that corresponds to it. So all very odd yeah was this guy that sort of that sort of takes us up to where the facts of the case end and speculation begins and now obviously 
this is just a really interesting kind of mystery. It's just a little mystery, and yep. it's it's interested people for a long time. I, I find it very interesting. Evans, clearly, yep. his little conspiracy poisoned brain is latching on to this. Well, I, I, I remember reading uh, reading about this like years ago, probably in college or something like that. It was stoned down my mind. Yeah. Yeah, this is exactly the type of shit that we like. Yeah. Um, and so for decades after, it has remained a cold case um, and filled with like wild dead ends and red herrings. Um, one of the first to crop up uh, in 1949 was a connection with the Mag- M- Magnuson affair, uh, which <laughs> occurred really the Magnuson, same. Magnuson, not Mag- Magnuson. Magnuson. Yeah, it's it's M A N G N O S O N. Magnuson. Magnuson. I would, I keep wanting to say Magnuson, but it's Magnuson. I know. <laughs> I I read it as that too until you just said it was Magnuson. Yeah, it's and that's believe me, I rechecked it many times because that <laughs> made my brain hurt. Um, so 12 miles up the coast from name. Somerton Park, the body of a two-year-old little boy <coughs> named Clive Magnuson was found. What an Aussie name, dude. I know. Little, you know, you see like your little baby, your brand new baby boy, and you're like, what shall Clive. I name this bundle of joy? Clive. Clive. Let's name him Clive Magnuson. Clive Magnuson. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, this boy's going to love his meat and potatoes. He's going to be a regular sausage roll eating fuck. Um, yeah. Clive, little Clive. Um, Clive Magnuson. <laughs> unfortunately, little Clive, we shouldn't joke about him. He was found dead, stuffed yeah. into a sack uh, next to the unconscious, exposure-ridden body of his father, Keith, who was not dead, but who was near to it. And they were kind of out in this, like, dune area of a beach, like I said, 12 miles up the coast. And the boy was not thought to have died of natural causes, uh, but they couldn't conclusively figure out how he died they never arrested the father um he went home and then the reason this ended up getting connected was that the boy's mother would then claim to have been threatened and stalked by a masked man uh who drove by her one day the first time with like a a, a handkerchief covering his face and was basically like you know don't talk to the cops or else um, and she believed that this was linked to her husband's theories that he knew who the Somerton man was. He claimed that the Somerton man was this guy that he had used to work with. Um, and okay. so she thought that that was the reason that they were being threatened not to talk to police. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that these parents or one of them had something to do with killing their kid. And uh, they kind of just made this connection be- to distract and seem like there was some conspiracy yeah, going just, on. With- yeah. Something tells me Throw dad a bunch like of shit out there to yeah of, something weird yeah. happened. I mean, you don't just wind up like naked and exposed next to the, the body of your dead kid in a fucking sack like that. It, yeah. it, something fishy was going on with the Magnusons, but they were never conclusively linked to this. But the newspapers at the time obviously went bananas over this, and that's sort yeah. of the type of story that this became. It sort of became this tabloid thing. Like anytime something weird would happen, it's, it's like, boy. oh, could this be it? Right, Bat Boy, exactly. <laughs> um. <clears throat> So a few years after the body of Somerton Man was buried, flowers began appearing at his grave, although no one was ever seen placing them there. Um, the, the closest they ever came was there was a woman who was seen leaving the cemetery. There had been no flowers there, and then she was seen leaving, and then there were flowers there, and then they caught up to her and interviewed her, people that were, like, staking out the scene. Yeah. And she claimed not to have seen anybody else in the cemetery and also that it wasn't her, and they had no way to prove that it was her. So whatever, she left. There was also a rumor that there was this inmate in Fanganui Prison in New Zealand yeah. who claimed to know the man's identity but would not give an interview, and so that was sort of a dead end. And it's just sort of probably some coup. Yeah, I know, like, who, oh, I know who it is. 
but like who is it ow fuck off yeah i'm gonna <laughs> tell you fuck off cunt some dude with like rotten teeth and whatever yeah. uh <laughs> just another completely another solitary sorry <laughs> He's just, like, completely solitary living in some, like, fucking bush or something like that. Not like a bush, like shrub bush, but, like, in the bush. Yeah, yeah. Out in the bush. Yeah. Um, so, another another interesting one that came up. So, uh, a former employee of the hotel, this is in the 50s, um, yeah. across from the train station in Adelaide, where the tickets had been purchased and the suitcase had been found, claimed that an odd man had stayed in the hotel... Uh, in the days leading up to the death of Somerton Man and had checked out with almost nothing on him uh, except for a small black bag similar to something that a doctor would carry. And she claimed that a fellow employee who had looked into the bag had seen something like a, quote, needle uh, in the bag or poking out of the bag, right? And so she comes to the police with that like a couple years later and they're just like, okay, anything else? And she's like, no, but isn't that weird? And they're like, yeah... If it's true, it's weird, sure. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's all very insubstantial, very spooky. Mm-hmm. And so as Evan's been sort of hinting at, it's no surprise that people sort of thought maybe that this guy was a spook. Yeah. Um, which he very well might have been. Um, the FBI and Scotland Yard were reached out to, obviously, and both denied any knowledge of this guy. Uh, and honestly, the spy angle, there's still not a lot to conclusively point to it. Um, it's possible but there's no real hard proof that's been publicly available um it was theorized at the time that somerton man might be from a warsaw pact nation which which was nothing at the time right but like a nation that would go on to be in the warsaw like a a, a, an eastern Bloc nation yeah um which would explain why his identity was difficult to ascertain they weren't able to find any missing persons reports from him like i said they checked like all english language speaking countries for a person with this name but yeah if he wasn't from one of those countries he was polish or something he could have been right and he's dead so you can't interview him there's no way to know if he's got an accent or where he's from or what language he speaks whatever yeah so unless you got some (coughs) uh some uh doctor pulling out this pulling out the calipers to try to prove his slavic heritage or something right right (laughs) yeah right it would all be very uh eugenic and and freaky yeah exactly well, um, you can tell by his uh, the cleavages in his head <laughs> that he used to squat quite often, like a gopnik. Um, so there were two sites near his body that could potentially have been targets for espionage: uh, the Radium Hill Uranium Mine, which is in South Australia, and it was the nation's first uranium mine, uh, and the Anglo-Australian military testing site at Woomera. Uh, though neither of these were ever conclusively linked to the body in any way. They were just sort of theorized as like, okay, well, if someone was here spying, what would they be spying that would, on? That would be a very sp- – those both those places, I'm sure, are filled with spooks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Alf Boxall, uh, this is another connection to it, but it, to me it feels a little dead-endy, but maybe not. Um, the army guy from before, now apparently he was linked to serious spooky shit uh, for the yeah. Aussie government both during and after the war. Um, and gave some interviews where he kind of hinted at that, um, but never was conclusively linked um, to the the scenario. Doing some like MI six stuff. <coughs> yeah, he was doing something. Um, but I mean that know. that's why you know with the book exactly and the nurse she sounded kind of spooky as well in the book. Right. Well, so that's the other thing. So <laughs> I mentioned how she had 
kids who kind of thought she was probably linked to this. So in 2013, uh, yeah. Jessica Thompson, that nurse, her daughter Kate gave an interview to 60 Minutes in Australia where she discussed the possibility that both her mother and the Somerton man uh, may have been spies. Uh, she mentioned that her mother had an interest in communism um, and spoke fluent Russian, which she never <laughs> explained how she knew, uh, and also that she had a job teaching English to immigrants, yeah. uh, which I think would be a really useful cover to oh, bring you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, you're, if, you're, if you have an agent come to the country who right. doesn't, you know, and they don't speak English. You could be their, their handler, and it yeah. would be a totally... As just an English teacher, but... Yeah. Right. Oh, so yeah, we have to meet weekly of, for class, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so you can hide them a bunch of, around a bunch of people who aren't spies. But I, also, she just speaks Russian. You know, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So, right. but the teaching English, you can have one of the students be, you know, uh, an agent, and the rest of them are just normal people. So right, you can exactly. Hide them like that. Exactly. You know? it, it makes to me, it makes total sense. That would be yeah. such an easy cover. So, yeah. all of that does look really spooky. Um, yeah. And so then her son, a guy named Robin Thompson, also shared some really unique physical features with the Somerton man, huh. uh, specifically the shape of his ears and the way they were set in uh, his head, out and the calipers, the shape of his teeth. <laughs> Um, well, no, no, this is more, know, there's more to this. This is not like a eugenics thing. This is like, I, I know, I know. he had specifically his teeth. He had a specific bite pattern. That's like, I guess really rare. Um, uh. and so he actually theorized that he, he may have been related to Somerton man or his yeah. son, even like his secret son. And this guy was actually his father, son um, or nephew or something. Yeah. All kinds of weird, you know? And mm. so that was a, a, a theory for a long time. Um, so it's all very compelling, and the theories are fun, except there has, as I've said, uh, actually been a recent major break in the case, which might, maybe, maybe, put all the spy talk to rest.
So beginning in 2009, uh, University of Adelaide professor Derek Abbott set out to crack the case once and for all, seeking to exhume the body and get fresh DNA to use. Now, it turns out the body had been preserved in formaldehyde for too long. So DNA is not really available from the body itself. It's all broken down. Um, He then wanted to test Thompson's children uh, to see if there was some way to compare DNA to any DNA he might find um, or to see if they were not related to their supposed father and then therefore maybe there's this like connection there and the kids are kind of on board with this. Um, so as a little fun part of the story, it's kind of weird, uh, yeah. during his, his research, Abbott tracks down Robin Thompson, who was the nurse, Jessica Thompson's son. He had a daughter named Rachel who had been, uh, given up for adoption and raised in New Zealand under the name Rachel Egan, uh, and had no idea initially that she was even part of this whole thing. So he tracked her down and reached out to her and wanted to to talk to her and get her DNA. They met, and within a day of meeting, they decided to get married. And now she jokes, like, I think he just married me for my DNA. <laughs> there might be yeah. some truth to that. I'm like, yeah, it's all very weird. So he's, like, obsessed with this. And he clearly thinks that there is some connection with this family and Somerton Man. And that's – he's he's here. so this is why I think this – the conclusion that's about to arrive, I think it's very interesting. Because here's a guy yeah. who has a very kind of preconceived interest or notion – that there is a connection here. This family has DNA links and, you know, there's something to be found by sticking to just to looking into this family. Um, <clears throat> so it's all kind of all over the place. But they do find that Egan, Robin Egan's daughter, yeah. the guy with the weird teeth and hair, uh, teeth and ears, yeah. who thought he might be Somerton Man's son, yeah. she is conclusively related to... Prosper Thompson, who yeah. was the father, the actual father. Yeah, yeah. And so if she's related to him, then her father was related to him, which means he's not secretly Somerton Man's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is the son of the man who raised him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a big surprise. And Robin Egan was like, man, I, or Robin Thompson had thought that he was related to Somerton Man, but nope, just weird coincidence that he had similar teeth and ears, apparently. Finally, they found three good hairs stuck to the inside of that plaster uh, face cast that I mentioned earlier that the police had made, and they began extracting mitochondrial DNA. Now, that can only, I think, trace you to the mother's side, um, or at least the DNA that they were using could only do that, so it's not initially conclusive, but um, he took it, and for years, he and geneticists were working on it, and then finally... uh, in, so I think those hairs were found in 2017. Uh, in 2022, they came out and said that they have figured out to within 99% certainty, according to them, who Somerton Man was. Uh, and it turns out that he was some guy named Carl Webb. Uh, Carl was not, that anyone can surmise, uh, a spy uh, or related at least genetically to the Thompsons in any way. Uh, there's no way of knowing if he was a, you know, he could have been a spook or he could have been her lover or something, but we don't know. Uh, he was an electrical engineer from the suburbs of Melbourne with no living relatives that had ever met him, though they did find he had living cousins and things like that. Um, but through some genetic research and, uh, lots of sleuthing, they found out some things about him. He had been born, uh, in 1905 in Melbourne to an Australian mother and a German immigrant father from Hamburg. 
Uh, they opened a bakery, and he grew up working in the family bakery before embarking on a career as an electrical engineer making electrical instruments, different tools that people would use. He eventually married a pharmacist, someone with access to weird drugs and chemicals, <clears throat> named Dorothy Robertson in 1941, uh, though by all accounts he was just like a total fucking asshole. Uh, he was intensely private and quiet um, and suffered from intense bouts of depression, but could also be really violent and cruel and kind of piggish towards his wife, um, especially if he was like wrong in an argument, things like that. They say he yeah. like fly off the handle. Apparently, he was very fond of poetry, uh, especially on the subject of death. Um, now, the, the, the Rubaiyat of uh, Omar Khayyam was largely dealt with dying and leaving a good legacy behind and making your life worthwhile and whatever. And so that kind of tracks. Um, and apparently in 1946, he had once before attempted suicide by an overdose of ether, which his wife uh, prevented. She found him and resuscitated him and saved him only to have him awaken and immediately start like berating her for ruining his attempted suicide. <laughs> um, so later that year, apparently he got like just worse after that and was more and more violent and aggressive. So she, she took off and by 1947 he had gone completely off the grid there's no more record of his life um she dorothy eventually applied for divorce in absentia in 1951 not knowing where he was and not knowing that he was this famous dead body in south australia uh and the divorce was granted by the courts uh so here's a fun fact his eldest sister frida it turns out was married to a man named thomas Keane. The name on the suitcase, T. Keen. Uh, and they lived close by to Carl before uh, his disappearance. Um, Thomas Keen, it was thought, had lived in the U.S. Uh, at some point in his life. And he owned many uh, U.S.-made items and articles of clothing. Um, and so it's likely that the suitcase and clothes that Carl was wearing when he died were hand-me-downs or things that he had taken from his brother-in-law. Um, lastly, Abbott found evidence that Carl Webb was majorly into betting the ponies. And he theorizes now with all this new information that that infamous uncrackable code at the back of the book was probably just like a little shorthand list of like racing bets or horse names that, uh, Carl was planning on betting on. And, uh, apparently that's not super unrealistic. Um, so apparently he may have, in fact, have just been a guy who was kind of shitty and sad and lived a hard life and wasn't very nice and uh, then just decided to poison himself with this weird concoction of heart medications and uh, die on the beach. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I again, I, I want to sort of reiterate, bear in mind that this is the conclusion reached by the sort of borderline obsessed researcher who had based the last decade plus of his career on the notion that this guy was potentially a spook and connected to this family that he had married into and all this stuff. And now here he is coming out and saying, nah, probably not any of that. Probably just some fucking guy. Um, and so where it stands now, uh, the South Australia PD have not officially corroborated this. Um, they're looking at all the evidence and closely examining Abbott's findings. Um, and I'm assuming at some point in the next couple of years, there will be an official, you know, response from them on this, whether the case is closed or remains open. Um, but this could very well prove to be the end to the mysterious case of Summerton Man. 
Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of questions hanging in the air. Yeah, I mean, I will say that there is still hard, you know, obviously I have no idea what it is, uh, but there is still hard evidence linking him to two almost assured spies. Yeah, it's weird that he had her phone number. It's it's and it's very like, odd that he maybe visited her. Yeah, and then also like, like and then also I mean, is there <coughs> you say that he theorizes that the infamous uncrackable code could just be a shorthand list of horses? Yeah. But there's no actual evidence of that. But there's also no evidence. So there. Well, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying that there's evidence of anything else. I'm just saying yeah, yeah. That that's just uh, that's just his know, theory. Yeah, there's um, no evidence to support that. Either, yeah, so. that, that's that's just that's just a theory. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. There is a lot of evidence to support the idea that it's some sort of shorthand rather than a code. Um, yeah. Because they've had, like, expert code crackers looking at this for decades now. Yeah. And they all have come to the conclusion that it's probably something kind of random, that there isn't really a system. Some sort of internal. It. Right. Like, so, like he, it was just a, a mnemonic device for yeah. specifically the person who wrote it to remember something specific. And there's no real way... Um, I mean, they've basically said there's. It, it's unlikely to ever be cracked. There yeah, will yeah. never be a solution to it because it's not following any discernible system. Now, that could also prove to be untrue. There have been examples of that type of thing being solved yeah. in the past, but that's the prevailing theory. Yeah, I mean, right you now. have like the Zodiac code and stuff like that too, right? Which is yeah, right. That um, definitely is a code, but it could also be an intentional red herring. So yeah, exactly. Um, so there are definitely lots of unanswered questions. I don't yeah. necessarily think that this that all the little pieces are are fitting neatly together. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Still, this is, it's still this is compelling. still just a bunch of like uh, like loose threads. Yeah, but it is it is thought that at least his identity might now be known. And while yeah. that doesn't give us a whole lot more, um, he's not you know a John Doe. He's yeah. probably got a name. Um, it's Carl Webb, and yeah. So that's that's where we stand now in 2023 with the case of the Summerton Man, which I still think is just a fucking really interesting, weird little Australian mystery. Yeah. It's cool. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Um, is there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap it uh, up? We did, uh, we did. We were talking about Nick Adams a bit uh, off air. Oh, yes. That's right. Which, uh, yeah. Uh, my, my man Nick Adams, the best <laughs> Twitter account on there, talking about his <coughs> memes. Uh, Nick Adams, pro- alpha male. Yeah, yeah, but it was clearly doing a bit. Um, he does seem to be a conservative because he's written books uh, dating back like about ten years about conservative politics. But I definitely think he's also doing a bit with his crazy like pro-Trump tilt. Uh, yeah, absolutely mind blowing to see a video from talk for the first time, and he's very Australian. Hyper Australian, yeah, yeah. He's he's hysterical. He's yeah. Um, oh, dude, he, yeah. His videos are amazing. He's talking about like M and M's. Not one Eminem will pass our lips <laughs> until uh, until Mars Mars issues an apology to not all one men. Eminem. <laughs> yeah, one. I won't eat a single Eminem until. Eminem. <laughs> yeah, uh, until Mars issues an apology and pays reparations to men and releases an all men packet of uh, M and M's and only men. Only men, yeah. No women. Yeah, none of that sexy green m M&M All men that everybody wants men. to bang. Um, but uh, so we were talking about how amazing peanut M&Ms are, S-tier candy. Yeah. And uh, I did say that I want to see I want to see the people at Mars, if they want to make things right, they're going to they're gonna get their Imagineers on this and create an M&M pistachio. <laughs> now it's a pistachio 
in, covered with Eminem, but then inside of a shell that you can still crack open. But then yeah, get so you look at it and it's a regular pistachio shell. Yeah, and then when you open it up, there is a candy coated Eminem pistachio meat. Yeah, inside. If Mars gets their be- gets the best minds uh, in a in the, in America on this, and comes up with the in shell pistachio Eminem melts in your mouth, not in the shell. Yeah, yeah, it must melt not in the shell, but your mouth. Then I will consider all uh, all transgressions uh, null and void. Yeah. We will be back to square one. Tabula rasa. Mars. Uh, M&M's will then pass my lips. Absolutely. I did eat peanut M&M's literally yesterday. Yeah, dude. Peanut M&M's, M&Ms are amazing. We they're talked like about this the other day. They're, they're yeah. S-tier. They're one of the best candies. Now, there are yeah. lots of decent M&M's, but peanut M&M's are yeah. like just god level. They're so yeah. fucking like You good. just crush a pack of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just laying down, watching some basketball or something like that. Bams. Peanut yeah, M&Ms. laying down specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, just breathing heavy and yeah. really going at a big bag of M&M's. <laughs> Shoot the ball. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. These lazy sons of bitches don't know how to play defense. Stop going for the three. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so that three. dude fucking sucks. <laughs> he's, he's no, so he rules, funny. dude. He's the best. Um, so, yeah. So, so that's, our, that's our little foray into Australian uh, true crime yeah. culture. I, you'd call that true crime, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it definitely it figures as true crime. Um, and so we hope you guys enjoyed it. I actually have another Australian story that I want to do at some point. Um, so because this kind of made me realize that there, you guys may or may not have some valuable uh, things to add to the global uh, information economy. So um, you might see us return to your beautiful land down under at some point before too long. Cool. All right. Anyway, uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, do all the things. Uh, subscribe, uh, rate, and review on iTunes. Uh, you can rate us on Spotify. We really appreciate that. Again, we spread by word of mouth, so keep talking and uh, tell people about us. Yeah, and keep rocking. Keep talking, keep rocking. Yep. And most importantly, keep your cock in. Yeah. Do not, do not, uh, do not flash. Keep it in. In. All right, guys. Uh, thanks, as always, and we will see you next time. Peace. I've lived in lonely cities. I've crossed deserts on camelback. And I've filled the halls of folklore with things I'd rather we forget. I could sweep you off the streets, so seeing this is goddamn tough. See, I reckon what you're saying But this does run every course I roamed without my boots on I raced without my horse And then I ate my horse's meat Straight from my horse's bones Cause this dog Must run alone You can 
Oh 